Coming up next, the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-26. In the Hebrew Bible, God saying or God speaking, those are completely two different terms and the Bible is so consistent when talking about verbal utterance of the divine to use the word say or to use the word speak. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and on this episode of Real Israel Talk Radio, I will be speaking with Chaim Shur, retired Israeli professor emeritus of industrial engineering and management at Ben-Gurion University of the Negev. Professor Shur's research concentrates primarily on quality and reliability engineering and on statistical modeling. He owns five academic degrees, he's published seven books, and scores of engineering peer-reviewed articles. Later, I'll give you access details to his personal online blog. Heimshore's knowledge and understanding of biblical Hebrew is uh, certainly eye-opening and engaging. Chaim, thanks so much for joining us today on Real Israel Talk Radio. Avi, hello. It's such a delight to talk to you again. Last time when we talked, you were my guest at the university in 2014. I totally enjoyed that, Chaim. I really did. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me on uh, this uh, podcast. Oh, I'm uh, delighted to hear your voice once again. And I think every one of our listeners are also going to find it fascinating, even as I found it quite fascinating, even several years ago when we were uh, doing our uh, video programs together. I would like to really begin by diving into some of the finer points of biblical Hebrew, Chaim, and how it is used in the Bible. So if you would, can you just give us, um, you know, as a, as a listening audience, some additional background of your academic life, which will then help us to understand what you're going to present to us here on the program. I was a professor for the Department of Industrial Engineering at Ben-Gurion University. I retired in 2015 after 37 years in academia, training engineers. And uh, as you mentioned, my area of expertise is quality and reliability engineering and also statistical modeling. This is uh, very much required in engineering and applications where randomness is a major component of nature. Mm. Just to uh, give you an example, uh, how do you optimally schedule surgeries mm. for operating rooms when there is so much variability? Uh, before the surgeons go into the operating room, there is a schedule of uh, surgeries. Mm -hmm. Now, if you want to uh, schedule a certain surgery, you have to know how valuable it is to know what is the minimum and maximum time that you expect the surgery to take. And there is so much randomness in surgery times that the way you schedule the surgeries is the most important factor to assure that the operating rooms will be used properly. I would like then to, uh, to move on to a book that uh, you published uh, a number of years ago, of which I have my personal signed copy from you. It is called Coincidences in the Bible and in Biblical Hebrew. 
And uh, I would like to ask you exactly what you feel prompted you or moved you to write such a book. Why did you write it? I suppose it also uh, would beg the question, did you grow up in a religious Israeli home? Uh, Give us a little bit of your background here, please. I was born a year before the declaration of the state of Israel in a small town, Tiberias, uh, to the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. But I (laughs) grew up in a secular family and educated in a typical uh, secular Israeli school. Mm -hmm. Families of both my late father, Daniel, and my late mother, Hava, uh, they were religious families, but not my parents. Now, despite my uh, completely secular upbringing, it has always been my dream to find out if the divine manifests itself in our everyday life and whether this can somehow be demonstrated and established with scientific tools. You ask me why I uh, wrote this uh, book, Coincidences in the Bible and in Biblical Hebrew, when it's full, loaded with statistical analysis. Hmm. I noticed that many times the weather make a transition. On Friday, the weather might be stormy. On Saturday, it's sunshine. And then it again turns into a stormy weather. I just look back at data Mm-hmm. and a transition frequencies between two days of the week. This was the first time that I was insane enough to try and evaluate with statistical analysis whether the divine somehow intervened in our daily life. The book, Coincidences in the Bible and in Biblical Hebrew, it does the same. There is a very known uh, proverb. It's in uh, Midrash uh, Rabbah. Mm-hmm a rabbinic collection of interpretation of the book of Genesis. The rabbi said there, God observed the Torah and created the world. So I started thinking about it more seriously. But then how can I scientifically validate or disprove this statement? Just to give you one uh, example, mm-hmm. uh, I take a, <clears throat> a set of uh, words, a moon, earth, and sun, Yerach, Eretz, Shemesh, mm-hmm. in Hebrew, and on the horizontal uh, axis, I write the values of the letters comprising each word. And on the vertical axis, I put the diameters of these bodies, moon, earth, and sun. I write it on a log scale, it doesn't matter, but these are the, the diameters of these three uh, heavenly bodies. But I found out that the three points arrange on a straight line, which for an engineer, it obviously means that the names of the three objects in Hebrew, Yareach, Eretz, Shemesh, represent the diameters of these bodies. This was such a shock for me, Avi. Why should it be connected? But statistical analysis showed that the two different sets of numbers, on the one hand, gematria values of the three names, as mentioned in the Bible. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the <laughs> values of the diameters of these bodies, as 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 you can find on the NASA site, hmm. they are related. Some people would say, ah, that's just a coincidence. And you would say, it is not a coincidence? Okay, so here come another question. Some people who learned basic course in statistics will tell me, you made a statistical analysis, but it is based only on a sample of three points. It's too few points to deduce anything. Hmm. 
I did something else. I produced thousands and thousands of trios of words that would represent moon, earth, and sun, and then tried what is the percentage of these trios that align on a straight line like the biblical words. Hmm. So when you're doing a simulation of 50,000 trios of words, and you see that percentage of words that really align on a line is very, very small. It's less than a tenth of a percent. You can no longer say that this is coincidence. Mm. And I did something else. I have in my book nearly uh, 20 examples. One example is velocity of light and velocity of sound. Mm. And again, the, the third point is the velocity of zero. And again, I have them arranged on a straight line. Wow. Unbelievable. Now, what's the meaning of a straight line? The meaning of a straight line is that the two sets of numbers, the gematria values and the numbers provided by NASA, for example, the diameters, the two sets represent the same thing. How can this be? Would you say in your view of things that this would prove scientifically the existence of God or you're not really interested in proving or disproving that? Oh, I, will, I, I was asked this question so many times. Hmm. I don't have any advantage on everybody else mm-hmm. to make conclusions out of my findings. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to give any interpretation beyond saying formal statistical analysis according to strict requirements that you put to any scientific research. My findings are statistically significant and they are real. How to interpret them? It's for anyone and everyone to decide for him or herself. I'm not going to say a word about it. There are many scientific minds uh, here in our world, some that might be listening to this program, and uh, they might be challenged to say, well, is there a God out there or is there not? Your data would suggest that there is definitely order in the universe. Would that be a fair statement? The results of my research, my statistical analysis, both of biblical Hebrew, like the example I gave you, mm-hmm. and also statistical analysis of Genesis creation story. There also I show the descriptions in uh, Genesis 1 are compatible with modern scientific findings about the Big Bang and what came after. And All I can say is that my results can hardly be perceived as coincidence. If the probability of this being coincidence is so low, as I showed in the computer simulation, then you have to deduce that probably the results are not coincidental, not at all. Okay, let's move on here to address another topic We are living in some interesting times with this whole global pandemic thing that is sweeping the whole world right now. And uh, on your blog post, HaimShore.blog, you posted something titled Coronavirus in Biblical Hebrew. 
Uh, what is your take on the Bible and biblical Hebrew and what it might teach us about the significance of a plague and how should we be relating to a plague or this current plague pandemic? Talk to us a little bit about this idea in your mind, please. Biblical Hebrew teaches us a powerful lesson about a plague. And to understand it, I want to make a distinction between two words that we use every day. The two words are to say and to speak. Uh, in everyday language, sometimes you can use the one word, sometimes the other. It doesn't make much difference. In the Hebrew Bible, this is quite different. And especially when you are talking about the divine, God saying or God speaking. Those are completely two different terms. And the Bible is so consistent when talking about verbal utterance of the divine to use the word say or to use the word speak. Everything that I'm saying now is connected to coronavirus. You just have to be a little patient. That's fine. Okay, so when God say, it's a monologue of the divine. It's like a king saying, God say, it's a command. When God speak, it's a dialogue. God speak and he expects a response for us human beings. Okay, I'm now taking two episodes from the Bible, from the Torah. Mm -hmm. Genesis creation and the Ten Commandments. Okay, now wait, before we get into this, allow me to kind of repeat back to you that last statement of what you were saying. If I understand you correctly, Chaim, you are essentially saying the difference between God saying something as opposed to God speaking something is essentially the difference between a command of God as opposed to a dialogue of God. Command versus dialogue. Do I have that correct? Exactly that. Say is a command or a monologue. God doesn't expect any response from us. Speak it's a dialogue. I think reading through the Hebrew scriptures, most people reading through scripture are probably not going to pick up that detail that you have presented. I doubt seriously that they will. Avi, can I guess that this is why you interview me and not uh, <laughs> the other people? The use of say and speak in the Torah is so consistent throughout. I'll give some examples later mm -hmm. that you can't really deny this distinction between say and speak. Please go ahead and uh, elaborate on these ideas, please. Okay. So we have Genesis creation. In Hebrew, you say that uh, God created the world in Asara Ma'amarot, 10 divine verbal utterances. Ma'amarot mm -hmm. is from the verb lemor, to say, and this is how it is called in Hebrew, Asara Ma'amarot, from the word to say. You move to the Ten Commandments. Is the Ten Commandments God saying or God speaking? If he's speaking, then it's dialogue, but if he's saying, it's a command. So which one? It's commandments, but this is an English interpretation. This is not how it is called in Hebrew. Hmm. So I'm asking, is there Ten Commandments in the Bible? And the answer is definitely no. Hmm. There are no Ten Commandments in the Torah. Hmm. Sound insane? I'll explain it. Wait, wait, wait. This is interesting. 
So you're saying the Ten Commandments, God is speaking, and therefore he is expecting a response as a dialogue. Is that correct? Exactly that. And uh, when you come to think about it, I expand on it later, the Ten Commandments can't be commandments of God because whatever God command is fulfilled to the letter. Hmm. In Genesis creation, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Hmm. Law of nature, this is command of God. You can't argue with it. Hmm. The Ten Commandments, thou shall not murder, is it fulfilled always to the letter because it's a command of God? Of course not. So the Ten Commandments can't possibly be commandments because if they were, they would be fulfilled Always, like law of nature. Okay, very interesting. Continue. Okay, so I just wanted to give some uh, verses from the Bible Mm -hmm. to demonstrate what I'm talking about. If you allow me, I will say the verse first in Hebrew, Mm -hmm. and then I'll say it in English, okay? That's fine with me. Go for it. Okay, so we start with Genesis 1, verse 3. Vayomer Elohim yehi o, vayehi o. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And as I said before, the 10 statements with which the world was created in Hebrew, asara ma'amarim, asara ma'amarot. In singular, ma'amar, from the root, le'emor, say. You scan Genesis creation, there is only say. And God keeps saying all the time to Adam and Eve, to Cain and Hebel, even to Noah, before Noah's flood. Where does it appear for the first time in Genesis? So you're asking the question, when does the idea of God speaking in the sense of dialogue and requesting a response, when does that first show up in the biblical narratives? And you are asking that question. Go ahead with the response, please. Okay. Incredibly, this happens only when the old corrupt generation has perished in the flood, Noah's flood, and new world order is finally established. And as Noah removes the covering of the ark, ark of Noah, we are all familiar with it, God suddenly speaks to him, not anymore saying as before, for first time in the Bible, God finally starts a dialogue, speaking to humankind. Hmm. I'll read the verse. I'm talking about Genesis chapter 8, mm-hmm. verse 15. And God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and the wives of your sons with you. And then... Immediately thereafter, God promises, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the impulse of man's heart is evil from his youth. Genesis 8, verse 21. So, the first time there is a dialogue. Incredibly, it's when the new order is established, when Noah debored the ark and start a new generation. Is this a coincidence? I don't think so. Okay, I talked until now about Genesis creation story. Let's move on to the Ten Commandments, Mount Sinai. Moses go up to the mount mm-hmm. and accept the Ten Commandments and Ten Commandments in the Bible. They are supposed to be the shield which God provides humankind to protect against the impulse of man's heart that is evil from his youth. But are these really commandments? 
So let us read, Avi, the verse preceding the detailed reading of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, mm -hmm. verses 2, 14. Okay, go ahead. There is an introductory verse before the reading of the Ten Commandments. What does the verse say? Let's read it. Vaidaber Elohim et kol advarim ha'elu. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words. So in the original Hebrew, no commandment, just God speaking. Hmm. So strange, so strange. And what does he speak in Hebrew? It's not words, it's devarim. Devarim is not words. Devarim is plural of devar. I would understand the term devarim as matters or things. Right, but not here. This is the verb. What is the noun of speak? Dvar is simply the noun of to speak. So you have a, a dvarim. Alternatively, you may find in the Bible also diber or dibra. Again, two words in biblical Hebrew derived mm. from the word to speak, the dabel. And the Ten Commandments in everyday language in Hebrew here in Israel, we are talking about aseret adibrot, namely the Ten Commandments, hmm. but there is no commandment. So the Ten Commandments actually signal a dialogue between heaven and earth, between the divine and us. This kind of brings out something that I recall from the words of the prophet Yeshiau. The Almighty Eternal One was speaking and saying through him, Come, let us reason together. Am I getting that idea correct as perhaps what you're trying to address here? I'm trying to say that uh, the Ten Commandments are divine suggestions. I've got to interrupt you for a moment. I think some of our listeners, if they hear that word, oh, they're just suggestions. Um, you, you actually mean oh, that? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no, Avi. Mm -hmm. No, no. Are they Ten statements of dialogue. Would that be okay to say that? I, I, I absolutely accept it. Uh, we can say it's ten statements. Not just statements, but statements for the purpose of expecting a response from the people listening. That is right. You see this as a statement within a dialogue. Exactly. Ten commandments are statements within a dialogue. They can't be called command because when God commands, it is always fulfilled. So the Ten Commandments don't have the same status as the Ten Commandments in Genesis creation story. How is the Deuteronomy is called in Hebrew? Devarim. Devarim, yeah. Uh -huh. But just to uh, give an example of another word, the Holy of Holy, mm -hmm. the place where the Ten Commandments on the tablets were stationed, where they were. The Holy Holy was the place where the high priest was allowed in only once a year in Yom Kippur and nobody else and at no other time. How is the Holy of Holy called in Hebrew? Radvir. Right. What is the root of Dvir? Ledaber. Ledaber, to speak. So, however we look at the Ten Commandments, 
It's always God speaking to us. So he wants to have a dialogue with us and is is expecting a response when he speaks from Advir, from the inner sanctum in the Holy of Holies, Kodesh Kodeshim. He is speaking to us and he is saying, respond to me. I don't like to talk to walls. Speak to me. That's exactly that. He uh, called Adam already in the Garden of Eden. Ayeka, where are thou? And after the flood, the first thing about Noah is speaking to him. How does this relate then in your mind to the idea of plagues in the Bible and how it relates to what's happening in our world today? So how is all this connected to the current pandemic? And the whole purpose is to preserve free will. And the question is, why do we need free will? There's an answer to that too. This is Avi Ben Mordechai, and I'm speaking with retired Israeli professor emeritus of industrial engineering and management at Ben Gurion University of the Negev. Professor Shore's research concentrates primarily on quality and reliability engineering and on statistical modeling academic disciplines that he applies to biblical Hebrew research. We'll be back for the second half of our podcast with Chaim Shore after this short break. listening to Avi Ben Mordechai and the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-26. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Our episode today is focused on biblical Hebrew and some of the many distinctions and divine aspects of what biblical Hebrew shows us about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let us continue our discussion with retired Israeli professor emeritus of industrial engineering and management at Ben-Gurion University of the Negev, Professor Chaim Shor. Thanks, Chaim, for joining us. Thank you for having me on uh, this uh, podcast. You were asking correctly the reading of the Ten Commandments, why they are not commandment of God. And the second answer that I give is because God has granted us with free will. It is up to us to decide whether we are willing to pursue the Ten Commandments or alternatively to ignore them. People once asked a famous rabbi, can God create a rock that even God himself can't lift? (laughs) And the rabbi answered very wisely, God already created such a rock. It's called free will. So if you are to preserve free will, the Ten Commandments can't be divine command. Free will is is uh, quoted in the Torah over and over again. Mm-hmm. I just give uh, one uh, verse. Deuteronomy 30, 15. See, I said before you today life, which is good, and that which is bad, and you choose life. So the fact that there is free will 
is emphasized over and over in the Torah, in the words of the prophets, and you can't have free will if the Ten Commandments have a status of law of nature, like in Genesis creation. So talk to me about the plague then. What about plagues? Okay, okay, so we come to the plague. How is all this connected to the current pandemic? Mm -hmm. How do we call a plague in Hebrew? Dever. It's the same word pronounced somewhat differently, but the same word. Davar and devil derive from the same root to speak. Amazing. So what do we learn from that? If a plague has the same, nearly the same name as a commandment, one of the Ten Commandments, it signals to us a divine communication. God speaks to us. And devil also speaks to us. So in other words, could we say that God is speaking through a plague and through that speech, he is saying, I want a response from you in order to stop this plague, to stop this spoken thing that's happening. That is right. We are given a simple choice, either Dibel or Devil. It's either Deber or Dever. That's it. A, a Ten Commandments in singular is Deber, Aserta Dibrot. Hmm. The singular is Deber. So there is a simple choice before us. Either Deber, namely pursuing the Ten Commandments, or Dever. I can't ignore it. The same word for the Ten Commandments is used for the plague. Now we could say the same Hebrew word for a plague is the same Hebrew word for a statement such as the Ten Devarim? Yeah, commandments, yes. Because you you're, yes. you keep saying commandments, but they're not commandments. <laughs> well, I'm afraid that the listeners will forget what we are talking about. But you're right, they are not commandments. In the Bible, both in Exodus and Deuteronomy, it's always Devarim. God speak to us. But so is Dever, plague. Hmm. So there are two legs to the dialogue to the communication with God. Choose the bear or choose devil. Now, this is not my interpretation. Mm -hmm. You read where the word devil appears in the Bible. It is always, always considered as a tool of God for human beings going astray, violating the ten devarim. Mm. Uh, you read, for example, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. They keep talking about three tools used by the divine, sword, famine, and plague. The sword is Herod, famine is Rav, plague is devil. Could we say, Chaim, that when God is speaking, if we refuse to listen and or to respond, then at a certain point he will bring a devil, he will bring a plague to get a response from us for a dialogue. Not just a response. It'll get us back to the right way. And again, I'm not expressing my own opinion, uh, Avi. Oh. It's what I get from the prophets. Devil is one of the ten strikes of Egypt. You know, one of them was the devil. There was devil also uh, among the Israelites when they're going to the Sinai desert. And again, the Bible emphasized why the devil came. It's because of malbehavior of the Israelites. We have a choice between Deber and Dever 
It's not my personal interpretation. This is what the Bible say over and over again. He is trying to get us to not just respond as you understand it, but to come back to the right way. That is right. Chaim, why do bad things happen to good people? If you wish to know why certain things that have occurred to you, or alternatively, why bad things happen to good people, all you need to look at is the final results. I once saw in a famous uh, movie, one of the heroes of the movie said, if the final outcome is not good, it means that it is not final. To understand the pandemic, we need to look at a certain episode in the Bible from the perspective of the final outcome. From this perspective, what we experience now is not that much difference from what happened in the episode of Tower of Babel in Genesis. Hmm. It's really amazing the two completely different episodes actually end up with the same result. So let us see what happened in the Tower of Babel because it's very, very relevant to what we are experiencing uh, today. Okay. So let us remind ourselves what was the story of the Tower of Babel. Uh, they had a king there. His name was Nimrod, as we can read in Genesis chapter 10, verse mm. 8 to 10. Mm-hmm. What is the root of Nimrod? M-R-D, mm-hmm. to rebel. Against whom? Against the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. So... What really motivated the people of Shinar, the people of Babel, to rebel against God? It's the same old story as revealed in the story of Adam and Eve and eating of the forbidden fruit. With Adam and Eve, when they wanted to eat of the fruit of knowledge, they expressed their desire, what will it bring to them? And they said, our eyes would be opened and we shall be like God, knowing the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. But the name that they used for God was Elohim. Mm-hmm. What is Elohim? Elohim is the creator. When you look at chapter 1 in Genesis, only the name Elohim is mentioned. In the story of the eating of the forbidden fruit, the narrator doesn't use Elohim. He always used Jehovah Elohim. Because there are two aspects to God leading the world. God appears as Elohim as the creator, and Jehovah is the creator of the Ten Commandments. Let's go back to the city of Babel. Many pay attention to the building of the tower, but not so much to the verse preceding the description of the tower. What do we see there? The verse describes how technologically advanced the people were. I just read the verse. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bear them thoroughly. What was the next idea? Rebellion against God. Let us build us a city and a tower whose top reaches to the heavens and make us a name, lest we scatter abroad upon the face of the earth. Genesis 11:4. Now, what was God's response to the building of the tower? And Jehovah said, behold, the people is one and they all have one language. And now nothing will be withheld from them, which they have planned to do. And the final result, and Jehovah scattered them abroad from there upon the face of the earth. In today's language, let us make us a global village. One rule for all. Is there where we are living today? We are. International Criminal Court, International Money Fund, United Nations, 
the idea of global village obviously goes against the purpose of creation. God has granted us with free will. It is up to us to decide whether we are willing to pursue the Ten Commandments or alternatively to ignore them. Free will is for us to fulfill our own desire. This desire, this free will cannot be fulfilled in a global village. Unity for all can be achieved only for one purpose, worshiping one God. Nothing else justifies a global village, one government for all. Exactly as with the Tower of Babel. Chaim, let's talk then about uh, law and order. Uh, Perhaps you could explain to us about how you see law and order. Uh, The king of Gerar, Abimelech, I'm reading from Genesis 20, verse 9. You have done to me deeds that ought not to be done. Abraham doesn't accept what he said. Modern day interpretation, these deeds that you, Abraham, have done, they are not politically correct. Hmm. How can the Bible be so up to date? You have done to me deeds that ought not to be done. That sounds like law and order to me. Exactly, exactly. And a second example of the same story, uh, the king of Gerar, Abimelech, he confesses to Abraham after his servants had plundered wells previously dug by Abraham people. Hmm. So when Abraham complained about it, he says, I know not who has done this thing, neither did thou tell me, neither yet I heard of it, but today. So again, he doesn't say that uh, it's okay that his servants plundered the wells of Abraham uh, people, Mm -hmm. but he just said, nobody told me about it. When the king said to him that he has done deeds ought not to be done, he said, I pursue only deeds that ought to be done. And Abraham said to him, I'm not convinced because there is no fear of God in this place. I'm saying that uh, man-made morality, man-made law and order is essential for every civilized society. But when there is no fear of God, as Abraham says, atrocities may be committed under the disguise of law and order. It's okay to have law and order It's fine and essential and required to have police, to have the military, but it requires also fear of God. So this is one episode that I uh, talk about in my post. The other episode is about King David, Mm -hmm. Bathsheba and her late husband, Uriah the Hittite. Mm. King David sent him to his death in the war, but he does it all within the law of the country. David doesn't do anything that is not within the law. But obviously, God didn't like it. So Prophet Nathan is sent to David, and he's telling him a story, the well-known poor man's lamb. I'm quoting from 2 Samuel chapter 12, version 1 to 4. And everybody knows this poor man's lamb uh, story. Mm -hmm. But King David immediately understands that he made a very grave sin, and he repents. But what does this say? Does it say, I have sinned? No. You read the Bible, it said, I have sinned to Jehovah. Hmm, I see. It's very interesting. Let me understand this correctly, Chaim. So I hear you saying that there is a difference between uh, divine law and order and man-made human law and order, 
and the two do not always connect to each other. Sometimes they are different. So when David sends Uriah to the front lines, when he sends him to his death, essentially, he was within the human man-made law system to do that. Would you say that was correct? In a kingdom, the word of the king is the law. And he didn't uh, murder uh, Uriah. He just sent him to the front line. But it was within David's right to do that. Yes or no? Of course. But yet it violated divine law of Jehovah. That's that's the law that it violated. Right. He signaled out Bathsheba's husband and sent him to his death. Hmm. But he is the king and he is allowed to do it. But God didn't like it. He didn't have fear of God while he was doing this act of violation of morality, divine morality. He did not sin according to man-made culture and law, but he sinned according to divine principles between him and the cre- his creator. Right. And David immediately understood it. So here you have two seemingly unrelated episodes. One with Abimelech, the king of the Philistine king of Gerar, in his communication, his dialogue with Abraham. And here you have David in his dialogue with prophet Nathan. Mm -hmm. And it all comes up to the same issue. Law and order, sure. Only there is no fear of God in this place. Chaim, I would like you to address in biblical Hebrew the idea of kavod versus kaved. Can you explain some of this to us, please? I published this uh, post some years ago, mm-hmm. and the title of this post is Kavod, the most peculiar word in biblical Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Now, the reaction to this post was a major surprise to me. Now, this post is the most read post on my blog, and uh, this was a real surprise to me. But the surprise was about the word kavod, because usually you refer to the word expressing glory, respect. You say in Hebrew, medaliat kavod, a medal of honor. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I did a little survey of how how kavod is uh, used in the Bible, uh, I found something else. Let me give you an example. Mm-hmm. A Moses request of God to show him, to show Moses his kavod. What does it mean? That God will show Moses his kavod? Now, Jewish interpreters had no argument that Moses really expressed a desire to learn how God is conducting his world, or formulated alternatively, to learn why bad things happen to good people. Mm-hmm. Now, this uh, tradition is comfortable with another uh, Jewish tradition, which uh, attributes to uh, Moses the book of Job. Okay. book of Job, you know, is dedicated to this question, why bad things happen to good people. Mm -hmm. So, I discuss all this on my uh, post, and uh, I came up with very, very unexpected result. You talked about a kaved is liver, but kaved has another meaning which doesn't seem to be connected with respect or glory. Kaved in Hebrew is heavy. How is heavy connected with 
כבוד. The liver is very heavy, uh, it's a very heavy organ. No, but כבד is, is used without any relationship to liver. כבד hmm. is heavy. It expresses, in, let me say it in modern science, it expresses how we experience gravity. How we express, uh, experience gravity. So maybe כבוד represents law of nature. And the most fundamental of flow of nature is gravity. The surprises don't end here. Go to the Ten Commandments. Do you see any representation of the root of kavod in the Ten Commandments? You say yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where uh, the root of kavod is represented in the Ten Commandments. Kabed et avicha ve'et yimecha. Respect your father and your mother. So we get a certain root of kavod. And we see it in so different worlds that seems not to be connected. But if you remember what I said about Jehovah Elohim, Elohim is the creator, the creator of law of nature. Jehovah is the source of divine morality, the Ten Commandments. So the kavod is represented both here and there. It's represented in the law of nature. It is represented in the Ten Commandments. Kavod, the essence of this word is really not glory, but a general term to denote modes of leadership by which God conducts his world. Say it again. Kavod is the general term for the ways by which God conducts the world. Kavod represents both law of nature, because kavod in Hebrew is heavy, kavod, but kavod also the Ten Commandments because the root of kavod appears in the Ten Commandments. So when Moses asked God, show me kavodcha, show me your kavod, this is exactly what he means. So kavod is a general term for God's leadership of the world. So would you say he, Moses is asking him, show me your divine leadership in the world and show me how it is Uh, heavy or how it relates to our world, perhaps something like this? I don't think that uh, Moses intended for God to teach him science. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But the other aspect of the leadership of God, why bad things happen to good people, the subject of the book of Job, which is attributed to Moses. That's what Moses wanted to learn. And Moses doesn't get a satisfactory answer because the ways of God are, are unknown to us. We can observe hmm. post factum hmm. the leadership of God, but we can't know in advance how the divine is leading the world. But all we have to do is just remember, kavod expresses two modes by which God conducts his world. By law of nature, where kaved represents gravity, heavy, and kaved in the Ten Commandments, which give you or display source of morality. What God is expecting of us by observing or abiding by the Ten Commandments. So, kavod is really uh, comes down to an essence of a source of morality as you see things? Both divine morality and law of nature. Okay. Because there are two ways by which God conducts the world. Law of nature, where we don't have free will. Mm-hmm. And randomness, where we have free will, but there we have a free will to choose, hmm. either the bear or devil, either the Ten Commandments or violating the Ten Commandments that, in the extreme case, can lead to devil, plague, 
not my interpretation, the biblical interpretation, which you can read in the words of the prophets all mm -hmm. over the Bible. The last thing, uh, Avi, I usually don't deal with gematria, the numerical value of the letters comprising a word, it has significance. Mm -hmm. So Jehovah, in Hebrew, you sum up the letters, it gives you 26. What is the sum up of the values of the root of the word kavod? 26. Exactly. Isn't that surprising? That, uh, that's pretty amazing for a man that doesn't uh, speak about gematria. Right. <laughs> right. Chaim, thanks so much for joining us for this interesting and engaging discussion into some of the many distinctions and divine aspects of what biblical Hebrew shows, or at least appears to show us, about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There is indeed so much that we can still discuss together, but we are going to have to save this discussion for the next podcast. Thank you, Avi, for having me on your podcast. I've been speaking with Chaim Shore, retired Israeli professor emeritus of industrial engineering and management at Ben-Gurion University of the Negev. Professor Shore's research concentrates primarily on quality and reliability engineering and on statistical modeling. With his many years of experience in statistical modeling and his knowledge of biblical Hebrew, I think that he has certainly given all of us something to think about when it comes to readings in the Hebrew Bible. Now, if you would like to dive into more of his research, then you can navigate over to his online blog for a number of interesting and engaging articles. The blog address is simply chaimshore.blog Again, chaimshore.blog I'll spell it for you. Chaimshore H-A-I-M S-H-O-R-E Again, H-A-I-M S-H-O-R-E That's chaimshore.blog so, folks, thanks for joining me today here on Real Israel Talk Radio. Let's plan on returning with a second podcast with my guest, Professor Chaim Shore. You've been listening to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, with your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Visit our website at www.cominghome.co.il. 